This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. I've been thinking about rites of passage for us as children growing up, things that we got to experience. I wonder if they're still a big deal today. How about losing your first tooth? How many of you can remember that? Anybody remember their, their tooth? Yeah, I can remember it well. Um, it was a big deal for me. Uh, at that time, even at that age, I was very orientated to earning money sooner than later. So, you know, teeth were a means to uh, some cash for me. Uh, I had a, came up with a way. I remember my plan was to tie a piece of string to my front tooth. And then, have you ever heard, heard of this? Put it, tie it to the doorknob of a... Of a Kids don't do this at home. Anyway, tie it to the doorknob of, of a door and then slam the door and pew, comes out, right? So that, that was the theory. And I was at my aunt's house and I was explaining to it. I had a real loose tooth. I really worked it, worked it, worked it. And I was telling my aunt, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tie the string and I'm going to do it to the doorknob and then I'm going to slam it and uh, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out and I'll be happy and, you know, money will be paid up from whoever provides the money uh, for that. And so I was going through the explanations. I said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I did this action. I was kind of showing you how the tooth was going to, and my fingernail caught my tooth and flung it right out. And that one action, boom. And I was like, oh, you know. Then, you know, then you, you freak out when you're a kid because it's bleeding. You're like, ah. Anyway, chicken pox. Rite of passage. How many remember chicken pox? It was a thing you had to go through as a kid. Um, I was a latecomer to that party. I got chicken pox at 16, which was not fun. I know, everyone goes, ooh, ah. All I can remember was that I, I got to lay out a lot and miss some school. So I was like, all right, that was good. How about running away from home? How many of you did that? Get so mad at your mom or your dad, and you're like, I'm going to show them because they don't love me, and I'm going to run away from home. Right? Ever do that, thinking you're really going to hurt them? Gonna run away from home. So I tried to pull that stunt on my mom, and she was, that woman was wily, even back then. She's like, oh, really? Okay, well, let me help you pack your bags. I'm like, what? Don't forget your underwear. And then she knew how to get me. So what are you gonna eat? What are you gonna have for lunch? And that got me thinking, and so I ran away until it was lunchtime, and then I came back home. That's how it works. One of my kids, my, my, my son Christian, was a runner when he was a toddler. I mean, we had to install locks on the front door because the kid would just get into his mind, run, and he would just run. And we tried everything to keep him in. But one time, uh, someone left the door open and what's happened. He got out, and I was in my, my, my bedroom. Now, at the time, we lived in Bethel, and we didn't live too far away. We lived in a subdivision that was just like around the corner from 125. 125, really busy. And so you had to go out my front door, take a left, take a left, and you're running right into 125. Well, uh, I heard my wife shouting and screaming, and I'm in my room, and I'm still in my boxers, just in my boxers, and the kid had bolted, and he was running towards 125, and he was a runaway, <laughs> thinking it was funny, and I flew like the wind in my boxers down the street, screaming, Christian, Christian, and he, he finally heard me and stopped, like, just right there before the road. He couldn't have been two or so years old. Scary stuff. So today we're uh, going to start a journey through a book of the Bible that begins with a story of a runaway. Instead of a kid running away from home, it's a man of God trying to run away from God, which is ludicrous if you think about it. Story of Jonah. 
The story of Jonah begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah, the man of God, an Israelite, who by description of where he lives, lives in somewhere in the northern part of, of Israel, and he gets the word from God, and the word is, Jonah, my man, I want you to head east to the capital of Assyria. I want you to go to a place called Nineveh. And I want you to preach my message to them because their sins, their, their wicked ways, the way they are operating, behaving ha has risen up to me like a stench and, and I want you to proclaim my word to them. Jonah gets the news and Jonah decides this is not what he wants to do. Jonah decides God is sending me east. I'm going to head west. I'm going to head west. Now, if you understand the history and you understand what was going on at the time, you, you might appreciate Jonah's sentiment. The Assyrians were bad dudes. I mean, at that time, they had a reputation of cruelty, a lack of compassion, uh, the fact that God was come to a point where he was sick of their wickedness is no surprise and wouldn't have been a surprise to the people then because everyone was afraid of the Assyrians. They were the barbarians. They were the godless. They were without compassion. They had mastered warfare to the point of, of psychological intimidation and cruelty. They're the ones that invented, they had invented, they're the ones that invented crucifixion as a form of, of execution. Now, the Assyrians embraced their, embraced this very wholeheartedly. They loved to not only bring about cruelty to the people they conquered, but they loved to boast about it. You know, just like in our, in our state houses, we have certain sayings that capture uh, the essence of what it means to be American in God we trust and all the things that we place out there that, that capture our history. Well, the Assyrians would, on their places and monuments, espouse all the cruel things they did to everybody that they conquered. Now, some of you have your kids here, and I'm going to share with you something one of their kings wrote down on a wall espousing what he did. And just to let you know, it's, it's a little graphic, not, not in the picture, but in the word description, so be, be aware of this. This is what one of the kings of Assyria said. I burnt their adolescent boys and girls. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off others, their noses, ears, and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of, of the living and one of the heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city. Now, these people were bad people. I mean, who puts this kind of stuff on the walls of your monuments and, and, and make records of this proudly proclaiming this is what we're all about. And so I guess you can kind of understand why Jonah's like, eh, I don't think I want to do this. God, you want me to go and preach to Nineveh? I don't want to do it because I don't like these people and it is going to be scary. And so what we find is, is that God calls Jonah to preach to Nineveh and Jonah says, nope, and he tries to outrun God. He makes a journey down to the port city of Joppa. He finds a ship headed to the place that's going as far west as possible, a place called Tarshish. And so here's a map. Hopefully my little pointer will work, right? There it is. Can you see that? There's Joppa. So he's, he's from around up top there, and he goes down to Joppa. Instead of making this trip to Nineveh, he jumps on a boat, and we're told he heads west. He heads west, and is going to somewhere, Tarshish, not exactly sure where it is, but we know it's a long, long, long way away. Jonah 
tries to run away from God. He tries to outmaneuver God. He tries to outsmart God. He tries to jump out of what God had called him to do. Now, it's interesting. The book of Jonah, while it's called Jonah, the story is not necessarily about Jonah. The real story, the real main character of the story is God. Jonah is a story about who God is and how God responds to two different people types. The first group are represented by Jonah, the people of God, the folks that we would say are church folk, good people, religious, individuals who would character themselves for us today as Christians who carry their Bible, read their Bible, are familiar with the stories, come to church regularly, are participant in the ministry of the church and involve themselves in church life. We would say, these are the people that are in the family. The other group of, the peop of people are those that are represented by the city of Nineveh, the wicked, the lost, the godless, the folks that, that, that live unashamedly by their own ways and means, the ones that have no consideration of what God has to say in their life, the pagans. And the story of Jonah is a, is a story about how God deals with His people and how God deals with those who would, we would say are outside of His people. And so we begin with chapter 1 looking at Jonah, and Jonah represents the folks that are in the church the folks that are in the family of God, the folks that have made that commitment and profess to follow God in their religion, but choose to ignore God's Word in their life. These are the folks that, that we would say are religious and claim to follow God, but really do religion for their own means and for their own comfort. These are the folks that make up perhaps many of our churches. One preacher said, no, uh, Jonah's name means dove, but in his behavior he acted more like a vulture, a parasite, an individual that operated based upon his own comforts and prejudices, a man that needed to have his dedication to God, but instead had lost the heart of God for mission, a man who had chosen a faith that was comfortable that gave him status, that gave him a sense of, of righteousness that as he lived in this place of being God's chosen, he could get what he wanted when he wanted by the terms he wanted. In many ways, perhaps he, he represents this consumer religion that we might see in our own walk faith where we, we worry more about what we get at church and how we feel from church and the things that we enjoy in church. We worry more about having our get out of jail, in other words, get out of hell card, than we do about the will of God and the mission He calls us to. Because when we face something that challenges what we want, we tend to selectively ignore what God's will is for us. I think Jonah represents many of us in the church who say, yeah, I like God on Sunday, but I don't necessarily want God in my bedroom dictating to me my sexual preferences and practices. Oh, it's okay, I'll go to church and have God on Sunday, but I don't necessarily want God messing with my checkbook, my spending and my saving and my sharing. 
oh, it's okay, I, I, I enjoy a good church service, I don't want to be, be with God on Sunday, but when I'm at home at night, my entertainment choices are my own. I don't want God messing with me with the wee hours of the night while my face is glued to a screen watching images that, that I know do not glorify Him and do not uh, perhaps honor the relationships I have in marriage because I'm hooked on porn. Oh, it's okay for me to, to have God in my life on, on, on Sunday and to take communion that represents uh, my, my, my at peace with others, but, but no, I don't want to hear what God has to say regarding making peace with that person that offended me, that person that hurt my feelings, that person that, that I'd rather see have pain in their life because of what they did to me and extract the revenge that I believe I deserve. See, Jonah was a man of God, and he was trying to run away from God. And I think many times in different parts of our lives, we do the same thing. We're God followers, church folk, Christians, yet when it comes down to it, when God asks us to be obedient or to respond or to fulfill a calling, we go the opposite direction. We try to run. We get on a boat, and we head west when God has called us to go east. And so there was Jonah. He was in the boat, and the story tells us in Jonah chapter 1, I encourage you to read that on your own. I'm going to go through it in my own words here, but we're told that Jonah gets into the boat. I guess he was exhausted from his ordeal, and he goes to the bottom of the boat and he falls asleep. As he's traveling along, the Bible says that God sends a great wind that becomes a great storm. The storm is so ferocious, it scares these seasoned sailors who are in charge of the boat, it scares them to death. They know that the source of this storm is not natural. And so they cry out to their gods, trying to figure out which of their gods they have offended so that they can appease that god so that we can have an end to the storm. But none of their gods is responding, and none of them uh, seem to be able to put a, put a finger on what's going on and who's really behind this this supernaturally induced storm. And so they're panicking, they're looking around, and finally the captain finds Jonah and he's asleep, completely oblivious to what's going on, completely unaware of the fact that the reason for the crisis was his disobedience. He was trying to run away from God, but you can't run from God. You can't outmaneuver him. You can't outclever him. You can't outsophisticate him. You can't outrationalize him. God sent a storm to wake up Jonah, and Jonah was woken up by the captain, and the captain explained the situation, and Jonah didn't fess up. Notice that in the story. And so the sailors did something. They cast lots, which was an ancient practice of determining the will of God. The lots were cast in order to find out who was the reason for the trouble they're in, and the lots fell on Jonah. And so the captain flat out asked Jonah, okay, dude, fess up. Again, I don't know if that's the pure Hebrew, but it's close. Okay, what's going on? Who are you and what's the God you serve? Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the living God, the one who created all things. And the Bible says that great fear came on all the sailors. When they heard that this was a matter of God, they were afraid. And Jonah should have been afraid earlier. The pagan sailors, the ones that worship other gods, all of a sudden feared because the reputation of the God of Israel preceded him. 
And they were terrified. And they said to Jonah, what are we going to do? Jonah said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I guess if you throw me in the water, throw me overboard, the, the storm will stop. Sailors didn't want to do that. They didn't want to put to death an innocent man. And so they tried to row back to shore to no avail. In fact, as they tried, the storm got worse and worse. And so finally they decided, we're going to throw him overboard. And they cried out to God, God, forgive us for taking the life of an innocent man. And they threw Jonah over the edge of the boat into the water, and the storm stopped. And the sailors, it says, worshipped the God of Israel. They acknowledged him as God of all gods. And Jonah began to sink and began to sink and no doubt thought, well, this is the end. This is it. I'm done for. I'm getting what I deserve. I'm getting what is coming to me because of my stubbornness. Why did I go, why did I go west when I was meant to go east? And as he's going down, the Bible says that God sent salvation to Jonah in the form of a fish who swallowed Jonah, keeping him alive three days and three nights. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that fish and nuances about that fish and everything else next week. You see, there's a little plug for you to come back next week. You like that? <laughs> this story of Jonah raises an interesting topic that is kind of tricky. But it's all over the Bible, and it's very important for us who are serious about following God in our life. It's important for us to acknowledge. It's the issue of discipline. God disciplines his children. Discipline. God responds to the disobedience of his children in a way that brings about their attention toward change. The Hebrew writer, writing to a group of Christians who were suffering at the time, brings this point out. Listen to what he has to say. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle, he's talking to these Christians, to this, these church folk, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You, you're, not, you're not bleeding, you're not dying yet because of the pain that you've come. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship, he says, as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it discipline. You know, the story of Jonah and the teaching of Hebrews brings a couple of things to my mind. Remember I said that the story of Jonah was about 
God, the kind of God we serve and follow. And in chapter 1, what comes to my mind is the truth that we serve a God who is tenaciously compassionate. We serve a God who is tenaciously compassionate. I think it was supposed to be up there. Right? There we go. Thank you. What, is that? what do you mean by that? Well, he's tenaciously compassionate. His inclination is one of compassion. He is willing to do what is best, even if it means bring pain in our lives, in order to bring what's good in our life. I've often heard, I've heard one person say, and it was regards to, to marriage, but I think it's regards to, to all Christian life, God is more interested in our holiness than He is in our happiness. And sometimes he might bring about unhappiness in order for us to become more holy, which means set apart more like what he's calling us to do and obedient to him. God is tenaciously compassionate. And because he's tenaciously compassionate, his inclination is this, that if I try to run away from him, if I try to flee him, if I try to uh, get out of line from his word, he will not let me go easily. Think about this. I think about how I would have responded to Jonah. First of all, one response was, okay, Jonah, you're going to try to run away from me. You're trying to mess with me. And if, if I'm God, I'm thinking, all right, get out in the boat. Here we go. Boom, nuked, done, finished. I'm going to obliterate you, punk, right? Make my day. No, I wouldn't say that. That's one option, and I think if we think about it, Jonah deserves that based upon his, his thumbing his nose at God. God said, go to Nineveh, you are my man, and, and yet Jonah doesn't. The other response is maybe this one, okay, go ahead, forget you, I don't need you, I'm going to let you go wherever you want, I'm not going to bother with you, ignore you, I'm going to treat you like you don't exist. Jonah is not treated that way either, is he? God cares enough for Jonah that he sends a great wind that becomes a great storm. Then he brings about the storm that captures the attention of the people, the sailors around him, that they are forced to ask the question, what's really going on, and to search their hearts and to discover that Jonah is the problem. Jonah is awakened from his sleep and comes to realize that, that he is the source of this problem in the lives of not just himself, but in the lives of those around him. And eventually he gives himself up to God, is thrown into the ocean, and is saved by God's agent, the fish. God will not let go easily, which brings me to my third observation. God uses crisis, community, and communications to get my attention. This conversation about pain and this conversation about discipline is a little tricky. When I was sitting down with, with Tim Peace and Aaron Adams, our kind of a, a, a sermon group, as we discussed this, we, we addressed this. This can kind of be tricky waters because we're dealing with the question of why is there pain and suffering in my life? And if you're going through a time where things are not working well, or you're dealing with sickness and you're dealing with tragedy, you're dealing with one bad thing after the other, if you're, in a, if you're in a place where you feel like you're at the bottom and you're dealing with immense weight of whatever it might be, you might ask that question, why is this happening to me? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through pain? Why isn't, is everything turning out bad for me? When I just want to do what's right, why is it I feel like my prayers are just pinging off the roof and bouncing back at me, not answered, that God is far away and He's, he's treating me with this cold shoulder, or worse, He's beginning to torment me. Why is this happening to me? And you may ask that question, and quite honestly, the Bible has a number of answers to that. Why do good people suffer? First answer is 
It's part of living in a fallen world. There's no guarantee for those of us who are made right with God through faith that we will escape the travails of this world, that we won't suffer from, from sickness, that we won't deal with accident, that we won't be the subject of people's errors and bad behavior, which become the source of our, our struggle. I mean, if you decide to move to San Francisco and build your house in the San Andreas Fault, more than likely you're going to suffer sometime when there's a little earthquake, right? Or even a big earthquake. That's just living in a fallen world. The other reason we might suffer is because, the Bible says, is that we have an enemy who is working against us. And the Bible is very clear. The people of God will suffer at the hands of an enemy who uses the powers and the principalities of this world to resist the work of the, enemy, of, of, of the church. People will persecute those who follow God in this world because they are driven by the enemy, Satan and his, his forces. And so I think about the news and I think about uh, reports of Christians being beheaded in extreme Islamic states because they're Jesus followers. Well, there's an example of people suffering at the hands of a, a force that, that can be attributed to the enemy. Thirdly, and this is maybe a little more tricky, is that sometimes we might be going through difficult times in order, as Jesus said, to see the glory of God at work. His disciples said, why is that man born blind? Jesus said, well, it wasn't because of his parents nor him being sinful. It was because he was born blind so that this very day you might see the power of God at work as I heal him from his blindness. And sometimes things may occur in our lives that may be uh, part of God's plan to have you witness to the power of God in your life. Sometimes he'll calm the storm and sometimes he will strengthen the sailor as testimony as a message to the world of His goodness. And then there's this fourth option. It may be that we're in crisis, suffering, because we're like Jonah. We're trying to run away from God, and God is disciplining us. And when it comes to discipline, what we see in the story of Jonah are the marks of identification for discipline. First of all, you see that Jonah is brought about a crisis the storm that's designed to get his attention. C.S. Lewis says that, 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 that God screams at us in our pain. And maybe there is pain in your life that occurs in order for God to get your attention because the pathway you're choosing is not in obedience to Nineveh, but instead it's in disobedience to Tarshish. But that pain typically will come with these other elements. The second element is notice that God sends people in Jonah's life who speak the truth to him. The sailors wake him up and ask him, what are you doing? And in many times when there's a discipline issue in our lives, God will bring people into our lives who have the courage to speak the truth and say, what are you doing? Where are you going trying to outrun God? These are the folks that love you enough to speak the truth, even though the truth is very difficult. They may be a spouse. They may be a good friend. They may be a person in church that is sent from God into your community world to confront you regarding the direction of your life. And thirdly, 
God will use direct communications through that community. Notice that the, the sailors did this thing called casting lots. Well, we don't do that so much. What we do instead is we pray and we study Scripture and we participate in activities that connect us with God. And I believe that when, when God is disciplining you because of an issue in your life, there will be a crisis, there will be a community, and there will be confirmation in communications. There will be a backup from the Word of God. There will be a, a word that comes to you, an enlightenment that comes to you when you open yourself up in prayer, finally crying out to God for help because of what's going on, or through the community that God has placed in you saying, you know, we've been praying for you, and this is what we need to deal with. God uses crisis, community, and communications. Heard a story of a witch that had a house at the edge of the forest. And she set up a trap. She had a bed that was enchanted. And her trap was that she invited travelers in to spend the night and they would sleep in that bed and it would be the most beautiful, most comfortable, blessed sleep they've ever had. But the bed was filled with magic and when the sun came up, the person asleep in that bed would be turned to stone. And so the witch would acquire statue after statue of individuals who were trapped in this comfortable bed she had this whole collection of folks who were stones, stuck there for eternity. She forced a girl to serve her, a servant girl, and the servant girl witnessed this time and time again, and her heart began to be filled with compassion for these victims. And one night, there was a knock on the door, and a young man who was traveling asked that he might spend the night he was welcomed in by the witch, and the servant girl, seeing what was about to happen, decided to take action. Filled with love for this young man, she threw in rocks and sticks and stones and bristles and pointy objects. She did everything she could to throw inside the bed the things that would make the bed uncomfortable. And sure enough, through the night, this young man couldn't sleep. When he rolled over, he was poked by a stick. He would pull out the stick and throw it away, only to discover that there was a rock in there and something else that made his night completely uncomfortable. And it was a miserable night, and he was not happy when he woke up. In fact, he got out of bed before dawn, got dressed, and in a huff, started to leave. And as he left, he turned to the servant girl and he berated her. And he said, this was the worst night ever. How could you just provide such a thing? Every time I, I tried to get comfortable, uh, there was something that you put into the bed that, that made it uncomfortable. I, I can't believe you treated your guests this way. And he slammed the door and he left. To which the story says that under her breath, the girl said, ah, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. Jonah chapter 1 tells us we have a God who's tenaciously compassionate. That when we, in whatever aspect of our lives, try to run away from Him, He will pursue us. He will not ignore us. He will seek to bring about discomfort, perhaps, to discipline us, 
a crisis, a community, a communication that will let us know that we need to turn our lives around to remind us to come to our senses, as Jesus said of the prodigal son, to come to our senses and to remember we need to come home. We have a God who loves us enough to put sticks and stones in our beds to make us uncomfortable because He loves us and He disciplines His children. And I don't know what's going on in your life, what aspect of your life that you're perhaps trying to run away from God. There's a clear command for you to go to Nineveh. Maybe it's difficult, maybe it's hard, maybe it's a struggle, maybe it's something you really have a hard time wrestling with, but it's clear. And instead, you're going the other direction. You're doing your own thing. You're being a Jonah. You're being a Jonah, trying to outwit, outmaneuver, outrun God. You're trying to, trying to be selective in terms of your obedience. God disciplines His children. It's up to His children to respond to the crisis and to the community, to the communications, because He disciplines out of love, because God, our God, is tenaciously compassionate to His children. Are you listening? Are you listening? I'm going to ask uh, our elders to come down. Rick Hedger, Mike Merchant. This is Mike Merchant. That dude coming down the way is Rick Hedger. These guys are available to pray with you. They've been called to the ministry of eldership, which involves uh, praying for those in need. If you have a prayer need, please uh, feel free to come and share that with them, and they'll pray with you right here and now. If you want to talk about what's next in your journey of faith, you have questions about God, about Jesus, about how you can be right with God through faith, about baptism, these guys are, are here, and uh, I can talk to them about that. I'm going to stand and we're going to pray, and after we pray, we'll be dismissed. Thanks, Lord, for this time we can share. Thanks, Lord, for your story, the story of Jonah. I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us and help us to recognize that you love us enough to discipline us. That discipline is not, a, not just a, a pain word, but discipline is a rich, powerful word, a word of, of teaching, a word of growth, a word of training in godliness, a, a word that, that means uh, habits, it means commitment, it means faith, it means uh, following you even when, when things seem tough or, or scary. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to, to fully understand and grow in this. Thank you so much for loving us enough to discipline us and for the message of Jonah. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.